This is Billy Corbin, director of Cocaine Cowboys and the 30 for 30s, The You and Broke. And there's nothing we love in Miami more than driving cruise control with no hands, steering with our knee, and not using turn signals, which is kind of what it's like listening to the Cruise Control Podcast with my man, Randy Cruz. Welcome to another edition of the Cruise Control Podcast here on iTunes and SoundCloud.com. I'm joined by Mr. Graham Matthews at WrestleRant, the Bleacher Report columnist for the WWE Talking Raw and SmackDown in the new, new era of professional wrestling. Grant, what's up, my man? How you doing? Randy, doing great. How about you, brother? Doing good. Uh, we are on the road to SummerSlam. We are on the uh, the new, new era of professional wrestling when it comes to Raw and SmackDown. Um, how do you feel about this new, new era we are living in right now? I'm excited. I mean, I'm always optimistic about the world of wrestling, but I think right now is as good of a time as any to be a wrestling fan coming up with Battleground on Sunday. Like you mentioned, the new, new era, whatever you want to call it, Raw, SmackDown <laughs> Live last night, SummerSlam, No Sleep, so Brooklyn Part 2 coming up on August 21st. Nice. Takeover's right around the corner. A lot of stuff to be excited about right now. So I know me and you were talking real quick off the air about uh, SummerSlam. You will be there. I will be there. So hopefully we'll get a chance to finally meet up. Most definitely. It's been a year, year or two in the making, so I'm looking forward to what, uh, an epic event of, uh, for many different reasons, including that reason as well. Well, I think the bigger question is, are you going to NXT Brooklyn Part 2? Yes, I am, sir. I'm currently planning on it. I'm, I'm pulling out a double duty, hopefully, so we'll see. That, that's the current plan. Damn it. I, I, right now, I, I'm, only, I'm only penciled in for, for SummerSlam, so I, I got to get I got to get the ball rolling, looking online for some tickets for NXT. I, I missed it last year. NXT, NXT Brooklyn was better than, better than, than SummerSlam last year. I was, I was tight. I was upset. So somehow, someway, I got to get in the building for, for NXT. Not only SummerSlam, but for NXT Brooklyn Part 2. Oh, most definitely. Like, NXT right now is the hot ticket. Like you said, TakeOver last year was undoubtedly the greatest wrestling show I've ever attended. Um, greatest match I've ever seen live between Sasha Banks and Bailey for the women's title. And this year should be no different from how the card is shaping up. We're finding out more about the card tonight in NXT. But uh, TakeOver, SummerSlam, and everything else going on right now, the brand split, like I said, it's going to be a week of epic proportions. Yeah, man, I, I, I saw the, the, the NXT um, on the network, and I saw the uh, the Sasha-Bailey match, and I was so like, man, like that, that, that crowd was so different than SummerSlam the night after. And when I was in there in Barclays, it was just like, you know, a typical uh, WWE pay-per-view uh, crowd. But, you know, way different from NXT. And it's like, man, I gotta, I have to experience this one time. If, it, if, if the prices are a little steep, I might just have to suffer through that and just say, you know what, I've been, I, I got to go to NXT at least one time. Oh, definitely. That's definitely in the bucket list. Like you said, having been at both last year, I can definitely tell you, from my own personal opinion, that the two crowds were very much different. Not to say that they were bad on Sunday, but it's just a completely different experience to be you know, in person for something like a revolution that is NXT. Like you said, it's the hot ticket in wrestling right now, and everyone wants to be a part of NXT. SummerSlam was great. I thought it was a good show. But being there for those matches and just the stars aligned at the crew's debut, an amazing ladder match main event, the greatest women's match, in my personal opinion, of all time in the history of wrestling. Uh, just did all the stars a lot last year for Brooklyn and TakeOver, and I assume this year's going to be no different. 
Yeah, man, looking forward to it. Hopefully, I can see you both at NXT and SummerSlam. So, Graham, we are, we are in this, you know, I say new, new era because at the WrestleMania, that's all we keep hearing about. We, you know, we're going to launch the new era of, of wrestling, and and now it, it, with the draft is is a new era again. So, I, it's, it's double duty for me, the, the double new, new era of wrestling. And, and, and it kicked off on Monday with... You know, I'm I'm gonna bounce around um, quite a bit here, but basically, Raw and SmackDown did a lot of different things this week. Um, combined, they had different camera angles. They had a new uh, video intro package, new intro music, new logos. Um, you know, little bits and pieces of the, the the stage were different for for Raw. The the Raw announced team is now by the stage as opposed to um, right by the ring. SmackDown still has it by the ring. Um, just to kind of um, bunch everything together, um, let's start with Raw. What was your take on the new era of Monday Night Raw? Um, we had the, the Women's Championship changing hands. Like I said, new logo, new new repackaging. Right from the, right from the start, what was your opening thoughts on how Monday Night Raw kicked off? Like you said, and talks about the new era in that we've heard this so many times before. Like you said, right at the WrestleMania, they said new era is upon us, but now it's like the new, new era, or like you said earlier, off the air, it's new era times two. But even going beyond that, like a couple of years ago, maybe back in 2014 or so, they were promoting as the reality era, like the reality era is here, but then it like died out after a few months, or like right. the punk pipe bomb happened five years ago. Oh, it's a new era, like, you know, and it really wasn't. It was for maybe a month or two, but so. Obviously, like, I'm not being pessimistic and saying I'm skeptical in regards to how this new era is going to work out. But like you said, Raw, for me, but the, the biggest thing about Raw, SmackDown, even the pay-per-views, is that whenever they say, oh, it's a new era, nothing ever really changes. Maybe the superstars on top and how they book sometimes. But it, the, the set, the, the overall feel of the show, the aura of Raw every week, remains stagnant. Like, they had the same set since Raw 1000. And even beyond that, they've had the HD set for about eight years now, eight and a half years, and they haven't veered away from that in almost a decade. So, of course, they still have the HD set. People are complaining, and rightfully so to an extent. You know, it's the same set from SummerSlam a couple of years ago for SmackDown. It was the same set from TLC. And I understand that, but it's something different. And me, personally, I've been clamoring about this for so long, clamoring for this for so long, and getting a new feel about the show. Corey Graves in the commentary booth on Monday was awesome. I thought yes. he was great. Like you said, it's just the little things. And I didn't point this out. My friend John did. But the lighting above the ring, it kind of is solely you know, focused on the, in the in-ring action and not the crowd. So kind of putting more emphasis on the in-ring action, which I thought was great. So it's those little things that's going to make Raw feel fresh again. And it definitely took a step in that right direction on Monday night. All right. Now, this is where we get a little – we could get – you know, a little picky as wrestling fans. Um, the new Raw and SmackDown logos. What do you What do you think of it? <laughs> like I said, I try to be as optimistic <laughs> as optimistic as possible. But the thing is, and as soon as I saw those logos a week ago, I didn't start shitting on them like everyone else did. But they're not great. The Raw logo, especially, is not good. I will outright say that the SmackDown logo is not amazing either. But it's definitely a lot better than Raw's. Raw's just feels like. And I don't know, you, I know you were tweeting about it, a lot of people were tweeting about it, so I don't know if it was you specifically or somebody else, but people were like, it looks like a logo that 
a fifth grader drew in his like arts and class, you know, his arts and crafts class or something like that. And it just, it's not impressive. I mean, I'm glad mm-hmm. they're veering away from the, the same old, same old, the same old stagnant status quo and they're making something new in the logo. But it's just, it's not all that impressive. Like a fifth grader like could have made that, like I said. So it, they're not great, but it's better than what we had before, I guess. The Raw logo is eh, decent. <laughs> the SmackDown logo is better, but it's, I'm not saying it's great, but I think it's better than yeah. Raw. Um, it it That along with the whole intro music and the video packaging and I guess, you know, the graphics they put up, um, you know, for the match. I'm, I'm talking about Raw. When they put the, 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 the graphics up, like Finn versus Reigns, the way it looked, it, it for me... And I guess this is where I get picky or too descriptive, but it it, it had like an old school, uh, tiny bit of attitude era, but mostly old school Rufus aggression kind of feel to it, with mm-hmm. the music and the intro and the the the, the fonts they use for the for, for the wording and the logo. I you know I I like that to a degree where it's something new, but it's still something nostalgic in a way where we haven't seen it in such a long time. So. It's not totally brand new, but I like it being different. And and you know I don't know if anybody else noticed that, but it, it had it had a Rufus aggression kind of um, aura or or atmosphere to it. Absolutely, it felt like to me throughout the entire show, not just Rufus aggression or attitude era, but not even just the graphics or the overall presentation of the show, but even the way the matches were booked and some things that we've never really seen before, like the interviewing of the jobber before the Braun Strowman squash match. I've never seen that before in my near 10 years as a wrestling fan, which was really sick to see. It's the little things like that that make Raw feel fresh again. Um, Like that, when we saw that, like you said, the graphic theme song, they're picking apart the little things. The commentary table was kind of drawing back to the Ruthless Aggression era. They're not like trying to recreate the Attitude Era or the New Generation or the Ruthless Aggression Era. They're kind of picking apart the best things from each era and moving forward in the new era. Because like I told someone on Twitter a couple of days ago, I love the new Raw theme song. I thought it was interesting. They used an original song for the Raw theme song. It's Shine Down's Enemies, I think it's called. And they used the CFO Money song, which is like their version of Jim Johnson, where they create it in-house, whatever, for SmackDown, which wasn't that great of a song. It was all right, and it's something new, like I said. But I thought it was interesting they used a real song for the Raw theme. But at any rate, um, I, I mentioned someone, someone on Twitter a few days ago that and someone said, oh, bring back, what was it, um, Across the Nation, which was the theme during the Ruthless Aggression Era, which is an amazing song, don't get me wrong. But if they start using that again, it feels like we're moving backwards. We need to start moving forwards towards a new era. And they definitely did that with the theme, the overall presentation. Like you said, it felt old school, and I'm a huge fan of old school, and they definitely accomplished that on Monday night. Hey, you mentioned that you know they, they did not try to recreate the new generation because, Matt, uh, Graham, if they did, um, that would take a lot of work to recreate what was going on in the new generation era, and that's not an era I want to live again. <laughs> yeah, I can live without Mabel and uh, Duke the Drumster Jersey uh, wrestling on Raw every Sunday week. <laughs> oh my God, Duke the Dumpster, Berserker. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm gonna <laughs> stop. I'm gonna stop. Um, so basically, now. Is it? Do you think it's a coincidence, or or it's ironic that both Raw and SmackDown kind of started a little similar, or had similar type matches? Where, for example, everybody was on stage on Raw while Stephanie and Mick Fo- and you know Mick Foley uh, addressed them, and then on SmackDown, 
Danny Bryan and um, Shane McMahon addressed everybody, but they were all standing around the ring. Then Raw has a bunch of fatal four-way matches, and then SmackDown has a six-pack challenge. Do you think that they're in the back saying, you know, really feeling like, you know, they're trying to one-up each other, or is that the plan where whatever Raw does, SmackDown is going to do the exact opposite or kind of modify what they do on Monday nights? I'm hoping they don't do the exact same thing. Because obviously that's what watered down the original brand split. That's what made that, that's what made SmackDown almost unwatchable, unbearable for a lot of people in recent years. Not that it was a terrible show, but rather because it was basically Raw light, just two hours long. They were doing the same matches, and thank God those days are over. Now we're getting original matches, original feuds, and stuff like that. They're not doing the retread from Raw, but um, yeah, I definitely noticed that too, and that they had the people around the ring for SmackDown because they obviously have a smaller roster, so that makes sense. And uh, they kicked off the show, The Authority Figures. We saw a lot more of Shane and Daniel Bryan on SmackDown than we did of Nick Bully and Stephanie on Raw, which I thought was interesting. Um, but I was fine with it. Typically, I'm not a fan of having the Authority Figures in the ring talking down to the wrestlers just because it doesn't send the right message. But I was fine with it for the first two episodes of this quote-unquote new era just to introduce, like, let's say uh, an all-new fan, like an all-new casual fan started watching on Monday or Tuesday. They need to get acclimated with it with the new roster. So I was completely fine with that. And they kind of re- they rebooted all their storylines. A lot of the feuds that are continuing over, there's not many of them. Other than Cena and Styles, there's not a lot of feuds that are continuing over from the you know previous era, if you want to call it. But I, I think a lot of people have asked me whether they're having separate writing teams for Raw and SmackDown. That, that was the way that it used to be in, during the original brand split. And I'm assuming that's the case again. I'm not 100% sure on that, but... I think if, if, you know, I've always said WWE's biggest competition, and this is not a bold statement, but their biggest competition is themselves. And obviously they had no competition in TNA or Ring of Honor or even over in Japan or whatever in terms of, like, money and, and buy rates and crap like that. But if they can create competition between themselves, between Raw and SmackDown, people are saying, Raw was so amazing, how is SmackDown going to beat it? That's exactly what they need to do every single week. Raw needs to top SmackDown and vice versa because that's what's going to create the best programming. You know what, Grant? I, I think I agree with you when you say that their biggest competition, you know, is themselves. But I think it's also the competition lies against you know what else is being shown on television. You know, they are they are they they are on the USA Network, and we all know um, USA Network has been different the last couple of years with their programming with, you know, shows like Suits and Mr. Robot. And it, Mr. Robot got, got plenty of plug on a couple of, of Monday Night Raws. And, you know, what else What else is on TV, on cable television, network television, even on Netflix? You know, just trying to create a show that's compelling, that gives you A, wrestling, of course, but B, you know, adds the whole drama and, and, and soap opera thi- uh, things to it. And I don't think that, you know, me and you can agree on this, that recently it's just basically been a, a wrestling show or, you know, catering catering to the to the IWC and the, the whole, uh, you know, NXT uh, audience. But I think the competition has to be with, with other programming because at some point, the storylines may not always be there. May not always be compelling. It just you can't just rely. In 2016, you can't just always rely on the wrestling where there's no true story to the the, the rivalries. There's no true stories to the characters who are who are wrestling and, and performing out there. So, I agree they are uh, uh, going at each other internally, but I think they should go 
um, had the competition from from outwards with with what's being shown on TV um, nowadays. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, in terms of wrestling-wise, their biggest competition are themselves. But it's always blown my mind and in various interviews. I know Triple H has said this before. Vince said it God knows how many times. They don't think they have any other competition. I mean, of course, wrestling-wise, that might be the case. Right. They don't look at UFC like competition. They don't look at TV shows like competition. But they absolutely should. Maybe they do, and they don't want to outright admit it. But they do. You're absolutely right. And I feel like wrestling gets it twice as worse as everyone else. Because they're not only, like, from an entertainment standpoint... They're feuding with guys, with shows like Mr. Robot, every other TV show on, on television on Monday and Tuesday nights. That is absolutely true. While at the same time, as that sports field of the show, that sports aspect of the show, they're feuding with basketball games, baseball games, football games, especially come the fall. So they get it twice as worse as everyone else. And like you said, I mean, I love the wrestling. I'm not going to complain about getting 20-minute matches every single week, and that's hopefully the direction they're going to take. But at the end of the day, you are absolutely right, Randy, the TV show. And something that they have not done all too well, at least in recent years, maybe even beyond that. If you watch Raw's back from even a decade ago, like the early 2000s, like Ruthless Aggression era, and probably during the Attitude Era too, as bad as some of those shows were, they had an ongoing narrative throughout the show. Something that started at the start of the show and concluded at the end of the show. And they need to do more of that with both Raw and SmackDown. Because like you said, if I tune in to watch a match, oh, that's, that's a great match, I really have no reason to watch the rest of the show. I'm going to tune out. There needs to be something like, oh, like I know a couple of years ago this happened, or last year, oh, Dean Ambrose got arrested at the start of the show. What's going to happen next? Like, they need to create more drama and storylines like that to feel like an actual television show. WWE has not done that in a long time. And the fact that Vince, I mean, I mean we talk about it all the time on Twitter and that they do storylines, they wrap up not only in one night, but they don't even, you know, progress. If, Raw, if you compared Raw to any other TV show, like The Walking Dead or Breaking Bad, it would get a failing F just because they never have consistency more often than not in their storylines. Like, they'll start something one week, and then they'll stop doing it. Like, I realize they have to figure out what works and what doesn't, but Vince is so, like, oh, it didn't work this week. We have to, you know, cut the plug. We have to pull the plug out of them immediately, and they can't do that. Because in order to be a real TV show, they need to have consistency, and I definitely agree they need to be more like a show like The Walking Dead or Breaking Bad, because that's true competition right there. Something else I noticed uh, on both Monday and Tuesday where, you know, when you watch SmackDown, or, you know, when you saw SmackDown yesterday and see Shane McMahon and Daniel Bryan, it looks like both of them, you know, obviously we know Vince is in the back calling all the shots and he has the final say. We, we, we you know, we get all that. But on TV, it looks like Shane and Daniel Bryan are really 50-50 in being the, the, the GM and the commissioner and everything. It's like they both have a hand. They both have a hand in what's going on um, for the product on that particular show. Now, when you see Stephanie and Mick Foley, to me, it, it feels like it's 80-20 Stephanie. And Mick Foley is just like... Maybe not comfortable yet, or not. Um, I, I I saw Stephanie uh, cut him off in in the actual draft um, two Mondays ago. Do you feel like Shane, the 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 team of Shane and Daniel, look more comfortable as equal partners in this as opposed to Stephanie and McFoley, where it looks like Stephanie has more control or all of the control over McFoley at this point. Definitely. I mean, I think especially just because Stephanie's a heel and Foley's a babyface, like I'll take that over Stephanie and Triple H, which would have been a lot worse because it's going to bring back bad memories of oh, the 30 and they're three years on top. So I, have, I prefer that over what we used to. 
what we used to have. But at the same time, you're definitely right in that, um, I mean, the dynamic between Stephanie and Sheen is a lot worse than Brian and, and uh, Brian and Sheen, or rather Stephanie and Foley, sorry, than Brian and Sheen. They work more as a cohesive unit. These are both baby faces. Uh, it didn't really make much sense to me to have Sheen and Brian at the end of the show on SmackDown. I felt like they could have just relegated it to the opening segment and have that be it, but that's purely nitpicking. But with Stephanie and Foley, one prime example that I picked up on is the fact that Rollins, he did not have to go through either four-way. He was just literally granted a title shot, which is better than just giving him outright, giving him the championship, which I feared they might do, mm-hmm. a la Triple H in 2002. Thank God that was not the case. But it's like, okay, I understand Stephanie and Rollins are buddy-buddy. So I understand, I guess, why they would put him automatically in the SummerSlam title match. But when you really think about it, Foley really has some power on Raw storyline-wise. Why would he have gone along with that decision? Wouldn't he have said, like, why does Rollins get defeated automatically? It's not like he has a title shot or a title rematch. He lost on Sunday just as much as Roman Reigns did. So why did he not go through the four ways? Again, I get it with the whole relationship and association, the partnership between Stephanie and Rollins, but it didn't make sense to me that Foley would agree to that. So they didn't really explain that either. So hopefully they kind of smooth those kind of things. I'm not, expe- I'm not expecting them to explain it next week or anything, but hopefully they can avoid... Know issues like that in the future between Stephanie and Foley on Raw. One of one of the bigger changes that I felt was, was very telling was the fact that um, you know JBL was now on SmackDown and Corey Graves moved up from NXT to Monday Night Raw, and you know also Mar uh, Ronaldo was also on, on SmackDown, which is a big a big thing for them. But having Corey Graves on Raw and JBL to SmackDown was just like. I don't know, man. It, it just felt like a breath, a breath of fresh air. Like, you know, I don't have to hear JBL screaming every Monday night. I don't have to hear him with his old school, uh, you know, pop culture references that Mar Ronaldo is just destroying the world right now with, you know, SmackDown and his lid and talk about Taylor Swift and the Kardashians. It, it, it seems more hip and cool and updated on, on, on the SmackDown side. But I think Corey Graves going to Raw gives a different dynamic, a different definition of, you know, just, just helping Michael Cole out and, and, and Byron Saxon out, you know, just a bit. Um, what did you make of Graves going to Raw and, and JBL going to SmackDown? I know a lot of people were hoping for, myself included, for a Corey graves Ronaldo combo on SmackDown, but part of me is kind of happy in retrospect that didn't happen, just because if we did get that trio of guys on SmackDown, whether it be as the third guy, David Otunga or Byron Saxon, it really didn't matter. That would mean that we still get, or Jerry Lawler in that case, that would mean that we would still get uh, the, the trio of Saxton, Cole, and GBL and Raw, which we've had for the past, oh my God, two, three, four years at this point. And it's almost, as you alluded to, unbearable to listen to. JBL is still not good, but and I'm sure I wasn't the only one that picked up on the fact that Cole sounded a lot better on Monday without JBL. And they yeah. together very. They get you know they get along very nicely. They have good chemistry. They had good chemistry maybe in the past, then ten years ago when they were calling SmackDown together. But just in recent years, they've really taken away from Raw. I mean, I'm you know beating a dead horse here, but they just were not a good combo for Raw. And thank God they're spreading the love with Ronaldo on SmackDown. Corey Graves on Raw, because I'd rather have two good teams than one amazing team on SmackDown and one horrid team on Raw. So I'm glad they're putting Graves on Raw. He was great, like I said earlier. GBL, still unbearable to listen to, but at least we have Ronaldo on SmackDown, so I'm glad they kind of spread the love, like I said. Graham, how how good is Ronaldo? I mean, like, the guy is... 
you know, I was dying laughing when I heard him say, "Oh, it, it, SmackDown is lit," and I had and I had to like really just open my eyes. Like, did, did Marl just really say SmackDown is lit? And the the, the 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 girls fight. It's like Taylor Swift, the Kardashian and stuff. Like, I mean, the guy the guy is just phenomenal, man. I I think him being a part of SmackDown and has been so fantastic. And you know, maybe one day he'll be on Raw. I don't think that time is now, but him being on SmackDown, giving him that flavor, um, it's just something something that SmackDown needed, and um, you know he he's he just great, man. Well, even before the brand split, I was a big blue brand fan. I was a huge advocate of SmackDown simply because not only were they having better wrestling than they were a year ago, even before the brand split went into effect this past week, Ronaldo really enhanced in ring action. Like if they had the same matches they've had all year just without Ronaldo. I don't know that it would have enjoyed them as much just because he's so damn good. I was really fortunate to be able to talk to him a few months ago, and he was great talking to him for an interview. The guy really knows what he's talking about. And he, he wears many different hats. I mean, he's as, just as knowledgeable in wrestling as he is in boxing, in an MMA. And the guy is just a fountain of information for all three sports, and it's really you know refreshing to listen to. So I'm glad he's on... Tuesday nights really calling the action over there, doing a great job. And like you said, could we see him on Raw one day? I wouldn't, you know, put it past the company. I wouldn't, you know, I think it'd be great if that did happen at some point. I wouldn't completely rule that out. Um, I just think that Cole is still their number one guy and has been for the past eight years since they moved him to Raw and JR to SmackDown. He's still, you know, Cole has never been amazing, but he still can hold his own. He's only 50 years old. He's just as old as Ronaldo is. Ronaldo's almost 52, which is hard to believe. But um, they, they're still very much behind Cole as the voice of the company. And when he retires and becomes a producer or an agent, which he's already doing anyway, but when he stops you know, uh, you know, doing both duties and he fully focuses on just being a backstage hand, that's when I feel like they might move Ronaldo to Raw and have him call the action over there, hopefully with Reeves, because like I said, that's the real dream team right there. We're chatting with Graham Matthews, the WWE Bleacher Report featured columnist uh, reviewing Raw and SmackDown in the new new era um the next question i had i'm probably going to give it to the guy that, that hit me up on twitter we had the same question um apparently being the world champion isn't big enough graham you have to be the champion of the freaking universe to be solidified as the top dog in the company so um the world champion is now SmackDown. The now newly crowned Universal Champion is now on Monday Night Raw. Um, I know me and you spoke about this plenty of times. You know, you know, in preparation of the draft, where they're going to bring back a second belt. Should they bring a second belt? Is the one belt going to float back and forth? Apparently, they did not waste any time. They wasted 24 hours to bring back one belt. Um, and they call it the Universal Championship belt. Um, I, I got to get your thoughts on one. Did you want a Did you want a second championship world world championship belt? Uh, two. What is your thoughts on the the name the Universal World Championship, whatever they freaking call it? Well, to answer the first question, I've always been split, just because I'm a huge advocate of less is more. The more championships you have, the less they mean. In the mid card titles barely mean anything as it is right now anyway. So I don't want to see them bringing back the European title, the light heavyweight title, the cruiserweight title I get. But if they bring back the, the European title, 
hardcore championship, all those worthless titles, then it just means nothing. It's like carrying around a, a Jack-specific toy belt or something. I'm glad they're not doing that. But bringing in a separate world title, I understand why they're doing it. Um, I was fine when they merged the two titles back in late 2013, just because by that point the world anyway title had been so devalued and was basically the equivalent to barely the IC title. They needed to get rid of it. They needed to merge them. Uh, but how they would handle it when they brought it back was the big question. People are talking all of money, how it would have handled if they bring back the world title. I would have been totally fine. I'm actually a bigger fan had they brought back the World Heavyweight Championship, but not the same belt. Just because we've had that same belt design for God knows how many years, right. dating back like the NWA. And it's a great belt. Don't get me wrong. It's an amazing belt. But when I see that big gold belt, I think of the great Kali. I think of Alberto Del Rio. I think of Jack Swagger just because they beat that piece of crap into the ground at the end, that it meant almost nothing. But if they brought back the lineage of the title just with a new design, I would have been totally fine with that, just because the name itself is solid. There's nothing wrong with the World Heavyweight Champion. But to have the WWE World Champion, which is fine, then have the WWE Universal Champion just sounds stupid. Like you said, it just sounds silly. And as soon as Mick Foley said that on Raw, it's the title for the people. Like, what's the difference between the Rock's People's Champion Belt, the Brahma Bull Belt from 15 years ago, and the Universal Championship. Might as well call it the Galaxy Championship or something stupid like that, just because it sounds dumb. And maybe I'll grow used to it. Maybe I won't. I probably won't love it, but I'll probably just get used to it in time. But off the bat, it's just dumb. So, like I said, having two separate world titles, I'm okay with it, just because it gives guys like Finn Balor and Dolph Ziggler, like we saw last night, separate opportunities, which is awesome but they need to keep the belts as separate as possible, like as equal as possible, I think is the right word. Just because if they devalue that second world title, whether it be the WWE title or this new Universal Championship, it's going to go back to right the way that it was before they merged the two titles a couple years ago and that the world championship is just a secondary title that means nothing. I mean, this has to be a, I mean, this, this has to be a prelude to a second women's championship belt and a, and a, and a second Tag team championship, right? They can't just have two world heavyweight championship belts that not really do it for the for the for the for the for the women and for the tag team belts, right? I mean, I guess. I mean, I was kind of disappointed slash not entirely surprised, but I was slightly disappointed. I will admit they didn't address that on SmackDown. I mean, they talked about the new number one contender, which is great. They addressed the new Backlash pay-per-view, which I know both you and I are huge fans of, like, the, na- the names of Backlash and Judgment Day. I know you tweeted a while ago, like, those old pay-per-view names were so lit, and I'm glad they're bringing those back. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did not address the new women's title or a tag team title. At the same time, I would not create a separate championship, not because they don't want to see the women and tag teams get opportunities, but just because when we had two women's titles and two tag team titles, before 2009, 2010, whenever it was when they created one championship, just unified both belts. The championships meant nothing. There was a reason why they unified them in the first place. Like, even years before the brand split went extinct back in 2011, just because there weren't enough tag teams. There weren't enough women in either brand. There's just not that much depth. We have a lot of great women. If you consider all the women in both brands, both Raw and SmackDown, that's a great freaking roster. And probably, arguably, in my opinion, the greatest women's wrestling roster this company has ever had wrestling-wise from an in-ring standpoint, but when you split it up, it's just kind of weak. And we already saw Becky and Natalia on Sunday and again on Tuesday, and I feel like we're going to get a best-of-2000 series match between them over the next year between the next draft, or, you know, until the next draft. So, again, I wouldn't create two titles, but what I would do, which they did towards the end of the first brand split, which I was not a, you know, a huge, uh, I wasn't, I didn't hate on this at all, 
This is how the champions travel between shows. Not the challengers, just the champions. And I feel like that would solve that problem instantly. That might not be a great idea, but I feel like it'd be better than creating two separate titles. Where have, you know, you're going to have the same five people going to the belt every week. Whereas if you have ten tag teams in the mix between both Raw and SmackDown, it creates a lot more competition. Right. I, I, I was just trying to see how, like, right, right now Sasha Banks is, is the, the women's champion, and we'll get to that match in a, in, in a second. But now, how does somebody on SmackDown get in that title contendership run to, to, to face Sasha Banks uh, going forward? Like, how does, like, for example, how does Becky Lynch contact or get, get in touch with Sasha Banks? Like, hey, listen, I know I'm on SmackDown, but listen, I, I, I want to contend for, for your championship. How, how, does, how do you think they play that out on TV where if, if they're going to float uh, the women's championship and the tag team championship, if they're going to float, how does somebody from that other brand – Get to the you know get the attention of the champions on Raw and the same thing for the for the Intercontinental Belt and the same thing for the for the U.S. title. Well, for the women and tag team titles, I mean that's where the problem runs. And like I said, I want to keep one title for each show, but I mean just one title in general for both divisions. But then then you run into the issue: how does the challenger earn a shot? I mean, the Raw and SmackDown champs would have to work together. And when you're having Raw guys appear on both shows. Or uh, yeah, I guess Charlotte, the Raw girl, and then the New Day, Raw guys, um, already appearing on SmackDown. It's already kind of planting the fact, planting the seeds that hey, this brand. But not going to mean nothing. But you're already having people appear in both shows, which was what they were already doing before the brand split went into effect. So uh, it's way too early for that. So again, that's I, I want just one title for both divisions, but it doesn't really look like it's going to happen that way. And again, maybe they surprise me. Maybe they create two titles, two separate titles for SmackDown for the women and for the tag teams. And you know what? That's great. But they just need to handle it properly. I do not have enough confidence in this company to do it the right way. Maybe they will. Who knows? But for the IC and U.S. titles, we didn't really get much of an answer on either show this week just because Rusev was in the number one contenders for away, or one of them. And The Miz lost the Wharton in like five minutes on SmackDown. So we have no idea who's next in line. I don't think those are as much of an issue because you can have the U.S. title exclusive to Raw and the IC title on SmackDown, and I'm fine with that. So maybe they'll just keep it that way. Who knows? But um, I think those titles are fine where they are because they have a deep enough roster for their mid-card on both shows to keep those belts right where they are currently. I got I got a funny feeling that Daniel Bryan and Shane are going to create new tag team champions. They're going to create a new women's championship belt. I mean, should they? Probably not. Um, because the the women's championship belt look, look, looks pretty dope. That and the, yep. and, and the, the one Dean Ambrose has. So... Um, I just figured, like, hey, if Stephanie can create a new Universal Championship belt, we're going to create the, the WWE Women's Universal Championship belt, and we're going to create the WWE Ta- Universal Tag Team Championship belt. I, it, it just maybe something I don't want to see, but if and when it happens, I, I, I'm not going to be shocked because even to, to, to my next point, when you mentioned that, you know, the, the, the rumors online about the potential uh, – pay-per-view names coming back what they already mentioned backlash officially coming back on, on september 11th um for the smackdown branded pay-per-view i know we spoke about that plenty of times if they were going to do that again but for example for raw as far as the rumor goes they have they have clash of champions in september so my my question is if they're going to have a pay-per-view called clash of champions for raw only that means only the universal the u.s and the tag team championship 
will be defended, right? Or maybe the, the, the Cruiserweight Championship. So only four four matches of that pay-per-view will be considered championship matches, correct? Yeah, that's where they're running into the issue. I mean, the whole purpose of Net of Champions originally, and they haven't done this in a long time. I mean, it's been the case for a while, but Net of Champions hasn't meant what it used to many years ago. There's the whole purpose back when they created the concept, that, you know, 10 years ago, almost in 2007 at this point, was that every title in the company must be defended. And right. by that point, they were already doing dual-branded, tri-branded with ECW pay-per-views. So it made sense. But if they're going back to separate pay-per-views, and you're going to have the tagline, every title must be defended, but only the Raw titles and not the SmackDown titles, it kind of defeats the purpose. Now, again, like you said, Clash of Champions, two thumbs up. I think it's great they're bringing that title back because it's a lot better than that of Champions, and it's, a, it's an amazing pay-per-view name with great lineage from WCW. I never thought we would see the day that we would have a Clash of Champions pay-per-view in WWE. It's amazing, but... Yeah, what, what do you do? Like, I'm still wondering that, too. So I'm not exactly sure. And it also brings up the issue at the same time. So if you have a Clash of Champions pay-per-view for only Raw, not including SmackDown, and then does SmackDown get the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view? So SmackDown only gets Hell in a Cell matches and Raw doesn't. You know what I mean? So I don't know how they handle that. Like, they really need I mean, just get rid of the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view altogether, in my opinion, and then just do two regular pay-per-views. Do Backlash for Raw, No Mercy for SmackDown, and so on and so forth, as opposed to doing these gimmick crap pay-per-views that haven't meant anything forever. Like, get rid of TLC. Get rid of uh, the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. Get rid of Extreme Rules. And just have, bring back, like you said, No Mercy, Backlash, Judgment Day, and just have them be standard pay-per-views without gimmicks attached. Well, to kind of update you, and I, and I know you'll probably do more research on it later on, but um, Backlash would be a SmackDown pay-per-view in September, followed by... Raw's Clash of Champions in September. Then SmackDown would get No Mercy in October. Raw would get Hell in a Cell in October. Uh, SmackDown would get TLC in December. And Raw would get Roadblock in December. So that's the the, the website I saw a few hours ago. And we, we all knew Roadblock was the, you know, the pay-per-view before WrestleMania, the Roadblock towards... WrestleMania, so I don't know what they're gonna, how they're gonna switch it, or what they're gonna um, replace that with. But um, that's the lineup. I, I don't see Judgment Day. Obviously, SummerSlam, Survivor, and Royal Rumble will be in the mix. Um, do I do I like the the, the branded pay per views? I, I mean, it's again, it, it's, it's all. The, it depends on how they utilize the talent, what kind of matches mm-hmm. they put on. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the gimmick pay-per-views like Money in the Bank and Hell in a Cell. And I think Money in the Bank should be one match at WrestleMania, not a full-fledged uh, pay-per-view, especially when they only have one match. But now, if you want to say, Graham, if you want to say a Money in the Bank ladder match for the Women's Championship or to, to, to have a contract for the Women's Championship, then that could be more com- more compelling or a, a, a ladder match, a TLC type of a ladder match for the Women's Championship then that could be more compelling if you want to really usher out this new new era of wrestling. And we, we haven't seen that. So if you want to go ahead and do that, be my guest. But to have a Hell in a Cell pay-per-view with one Hell in a Cell match or one Money in the Bank ladder match or one TOC match on a pay-per-view and to call it that, um, they should go away from that and bring back the No Mercies and Backlash and Judgment Days and No Way Outs and things of that nature. They would need to. Like I said, when they brought in those first pay-per-views, when they brought them those pay-per-views in in the first place, like Hell in a Cell, Night of Champions, all those kind of pay-per-views, the brand split was still technically in effect, but by that point, they meant nothing. Like, they were all 
dual-branded, tri-branded pay-per-views, so all the brands are on them. That won't be the case. Like you said, I'm not a huge fan of, you know, of, doing, uh, of doing dual brand, or rather doing uh, two pay-per-views a month, just because we're already having, like, Raw and SmackDown back-to-back, which I like more than I thought it would. Like, this past week has been great. We had Battle Run on Sunday, Raw on Monday, and a two-hour SmackDown on Tuesday, one-hour NXT tonight. So I like the breakdown, and maybe I'll grow sick of it over time, but so far I like it. But to do two pay-per-views a month, it might be overkill. I've said this a million times before, but they can't go back to the days where when they were doing, you know, each brand gets their own pay-per-views. No Mercy, 2004, 2005, 2006, whatever it was. They were great pay-per-view names, and more often than not, they were great pay-per-views, period. But when they were doing, like, second to last in the card, Matt Hardy and, like, Gregory Helms, because the rosters by that point, not that they were thin, but it's like a glorified episode of SmackDown at that point. Like, they can't go back to those days. And like you said, I'm trying to be optimistic. It's all a matter of how they handle it, and we're just going to have to wait and see. But, yeah, I totally agree. Just get rid of all the gimmick pay-per-views and just do Backlash, Judgment Day, and create new ones, too. Like, the new Roadblock, it's a cool name, but it makes no sense to do it in December because the whole point of it, as you mentioned, is this Roadblock on the road to WrestleMania. So it's the Roadblock to the Royal Rumble. So now they just need to create pay-per-view name, like new pay-per-view names. I don't know if they're capable of that because they haven't created uh, an original pay-per-view name in many years that was good. Like, we're getting Hell in a Cell, Elimination Chamber. Like, that's the name of the match. That's not a name right. of a pay-per-view. Bring back No Way Out. Bring back pay-per-view names that were cool. Bring those back, but at the same time, create new names that are original. I mean, it's going to it's gonna take a lot just because they have to be creative for once in order to do that, but I, I, I love the idea to bring back No Mercy and Backlash, but they also need to you know, innovate going forward as well. I am vouching for bringing back the king of the ring man i i don't know yeah. why i yep. don't know why they won't bring it back I, I mean they had it on the network and it was whatever and we, we, uh, wade barrett won it I, king of the ring was such a, a staple it was one you know we, we knew about the big four but when king of the ring came along it was it was the big five it was like everybody looked forward to the king of the ring whether it was every may or june whenever it was but king of the ring uh that would be a, that would be a shot in the arm to especially these these young talent that you're bringing up from NXT, the Apollo Crews and Baron Corbins and and Zoe and Cass and whoever it is. Like, just imagine you crown the King of the Ring to a guy who was who was in NXT. I think that'll go a long way. But you know, if you want to bring Roadblock and you know these these other battleground stuff that I'm not really too much of a fan of, um, I don't know, man. But you you know maybe they think it's too old school, too nostalgic, but. I mean, it'll be it, it it'll bring prestige to to the brand. Like maybe maybe it's just you know it could be a SmackDown pay per view, it could be a Raw pay per view, it could be a co branded. I really don't care. But King of the Ring, my God, like what has a what has a King of the Ring not done for you? I mean, bringing back King of the Ring. I mean, like you said, I feel like it's the best idea. People have been pitching this for years, and like you said, they did bring it back last year as a network special. And it wasn't that good. The matches no. themselves were kind of throwaway. They literally announced it the day before they had it. They didn't build it up. They didn't do qualifying matches. They literally named eight random-ass people, threw them in a tournament that included Stardust, R-Truth, like, <laughs> joking. Like, no one took it seriously. And then Barrett won, I'm thinking, okay, cool, they're finally going to push the guy. And then he came out a month later with a shitty-ass-looking crown and a plunger for his, for his scepter. It's like, what a joke. Like, they ruined any, whatever credibility that tournament had left, which was not much, to be quite honest with you, after Sheamus won it, 
and all these other losers. Like, I loved Regal, but he did nothing as King of the Rings because he got suspended. That's another story for another day. But if the crown as it is already had little prestige, and then to bring it back and ruin it again was just a head-scratching move. So they can bring it back again. Not to say they should, and they should. And I have faith they might do it right this time just because they're finally moving, it looks like, in the right creative direction with the brand split and everything else right now. So I have faith, albeit not a lot, but some faith at the very least. Um, so they can. They can create stars out of it. They did with Triple H. They did with Stone Cold Steve Austin. They did with a lot of people back in the late 90s and even Brock Lesnar in 2002. So, yeah, bring that back as a raw or smack on pay-per-view. Um, that can easily fill one of the vacant, you know, one of the vacant slots for a current pay-per-view on the uh, annual schedule. Probably, you know, probably going off script a little bit here, but if I ask you, you know, Graham, is, is Stone Cold the greatest King of the Ring winner of all time, or do you, do you think it's somebody else? That's a great question. I'd probably have to just because, I mean, at the same time when he won, obviously he had one of the greatest promos of all time with Austin 316, which I know we talked about many, uh, many months ago when I came on your show on March 16th, and we talked about that then. But then he went on to do nothing for a couple months afterwards. Anyway, I know he became uh, he later went on to become the biggest star in the industry. Um, but to my memory, like I'm trying to think of other people that were like really entertaining as King of the Ring. It created a lot of names like like Bret Hart and Triple H, like I said, and even Brock Lesnar. But I think with the fact combined with the fact you have the promo, the Austin awesome 316 promo that him winning King of the Ring gave him in addition to being one of the biggest stars of all time, I think you can't really argue that Stone Cold was the greatest King of the Ring ever. Graham, I, I, know, I know you had to be a big fan of the, 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 the mat classics of the, the jobber matches we had on Raw, <laughs> on Raw basically. I, I, know, I know you were a fan of those. I loved them. I think it was great. Like I said, the old school, traditional... I mean, like, honestly, I thought they were really, really good just because I'm not a huge Strowman fan. I don't love Nia Jax. But the presentation of those matches, like I said, mm-hmm. it's huge. Like, there was a report circulating last week to bring back jobber matches. And I'm thinking, okay, like, we read this kind of crap all the time. It doesn't actually happen. But it did. Literally a week later, less than a week later, they started doing jobber matches again. And that's what helps get people over. I'm sure we've talked about it on, on your show before, here on the Cruise Control Podcast. I'm sure we've talked about it on my show. But 50-50 booking does no one any favors. But right. to give an established talent or a rising rookie like a Strowman or a Nia Jax a couple wins over some no-namers, it goes a long way. And like I said earlier, even interviewing the jobber before the Strowman match was huge because it's something different. It's something different, and it. it's a callback to the old days of the 80s and the 90s. Like, I thought it was awesome. They can't do it every week. They can't have five squash matches on a Raw every week. But when done sparringly, when done sparingly, rather, uh, I, I think they can really be effective in building up new talent. And I think most of the the new camera angles, um, I, I, I somehow I just remember when Nia Jax walked out. A lot of new, a lot a lot mm-hmm. of the new camera angles were, you know, right up on her face. They the the the, the camera followed her on, on, on her side. Um, more of the overhead. Um, you know, above the ring kind of camera angles. It, to me, I, it, it looked like a little bit of what Nitro used to do, and plus, if, plus, you know, a little bit of what uh, how they portray the the the, the game in um in two K. Like you're getting two K kind of angles up up in there mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, I think it was great. I don't know whether they fired Kevin Dunn or what. <laughs> I thought it was great. Like you said, even during the entrances, the matches. Yeah, uh, like another side of the ring, and like they're not just using the hard camera. That's been one of the biggest things about Raw for years. Again, it all goes back to what we were saying in the beginning. 
the wrestling can change, the superstars on top can change, and that's all well and good. But if they don't change the overall presentation of the show and it still feels as stagnant as ever before, people's perception of the show is not going to change. But they took a huge step in the right direction on Monday and Tuesday SmackDown with the camera angles, the commentary. The overall feel of the show felt ten times better than it did a week ago. The opening theme, like you said, it's just those little things. They may not mean a lot to a lot of people, but when they, they all add up. They all add up, and over time, they make a big difference and making the show bearable every single Monday night, especially for a three-hour program. I thought the the Sasha-Charlotte match on Monday for the Women's Championship was just fantastic. I think, one, I think it caught a lot of people off guard that that match was happening on Raw, and everybody speculated you know, it was going to be on SummerSlam, and they were going to wait this out three, four more weeks for, for Barclays Center. Um, but... It happened on Raw, and there was a title change, and uh, it just kind of, you know, you know, people could say, well, they should not have done it on Raw. They should have waited for SummerSlam. But, you know, on the flip side, again, going back to nostalgia, Graham, this is what Monday Nitro used to do, where anything could, you know, the fans are, you know, wrestling can be unpredictable. You never know what's going to happen, and I guess – they did that on Raw to make it really feel like if we're going to do this new era and, and present new things and be a whole new presentation, we got to catch you off guard. We got to give you a match and have you sitting in your seat at uh, in the arena or at home and like, hmm, are they really going to change the title on Raw today? But And and that's what happened. It, it, caught, it caught everybody off guard. It was unpredictable because, we, you know, me and you watch it every week. And sometimes we sit back and like, man, they're doing the same thing over and over. I know who's going to win. I know what's going to happen. And and for one night, it was like, holy shit, Sasha Banks really won the match? Like, there was no outside interference. There's no any any loopholes. She, she won it clean. May Charlotte tap, new champion. And now the question is, do you think that it was good that they had the, the, the title change on Raw, and what did they do going into SummerSlam with both Charlotte and Sasha Banks? Yeah, I was super happy with it, just because a lot of people, myself included, were expecting a non-finish, interference, some BS finish, and thank God they didn't go that route. I mean, it would have been fine. I wouldn't have complained just because it would have set up their actual match for SummerSlam. But like you said, and that's another thing that's been missing from the show for a long time, is that sense of unpredictability. I'm not saying you need to go back to the attitude era when people were flipping each other off and, you know, you know, flashing people in the crowd every single minute of the show just to make it feel unpredictable and edgy. You don't need to do that. You can do stuff like this and throw a pay-per-view-esque match on Raw every once in a while. Not every single week. That's a big part of why this show is great because of the title change. The match itself was amazing. Balor beating Reigns clean again. Unpredictable. No one saw that coming. You can't do this kind of shit every single week. Right. But if you do it sparingly and, and you spread it out and maybe do one each week, Again, you can't have the show be too formulaic. That the whole formula of the show of Raw, every three-hour show, the past God knows how many years, has been so formulaic and stagnant and predictable. People, that's why people just stop watching because they don't care anymore because they know what's going to happen. But uh, with, with Sasha winning, I was completely happy with it. I realized this story would have been there with her winning at SummerSlam. I would have been happy to have been there for that, too. And they could still do Sasha and Charlotte at SummerSlam. Um, and I know it would have been one year since she lost the women's title in the Barclays Center again. It would have made for a great story, but it's still a great story that he's done Raw. And I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, why, why did they waste the moment on Raw? Just because it was an all-new era on Raw. Combined with everything else that we talked about, why Raw was so great this past week, 
they needed to deliver on Monday night, and they definitely did so with everything else we, we talked about and this and doing the title change. She's the first new champion in this new era, and now they can tout that. She really gets a big rub from that. Mm-hmm. It would have been great at SummerSlam, but it was just as great on Raw as well. Like I said, it sets up the rematch for SummerSlam. This is not, I mean, hopefully not, that the peak of the feud or the peak of the division. They could still move forward, continue to have great matches. Sasha and Charlotte, that feud will be the nutrition leader of this generation. And like I said, you could do the rematch at the biggest blockbuster of the summer in a few more weeks. And maybe they put a step on it. Maybe they make it a ladder match, which I would love to see. I mean, I don't know if you do a, an Iron Woman match or something like that so early on in the feud. I know they've been feeding for a long time now, but that they just started feeding in the main roster one-on-one. So I don't know if you give that away at SummerSlam so early, but I wouldn't be against it. One, because we'll be there. And two, because it'll be a great match and really something groundbreaking for the women. To do the first ever women's ladder match, the first ever women's last man standing match in WWE. So uh, I'm not at all worried about the future of the division because the match itself was honestly the greatest women's match I've ever seen in WWE. And I'm not saying NXT because Bailey Banks, in my opinion, is the greatest women's match of all time. But for WWE's main roster, I dare anyone to point out a better women's match in this company's history than Sasha and Charlotte on Monday night. And you know what's so funny? I think to make the, you know, the fans happy or make the fans feel like, you know what, hey, okay, listen, you guys made the title change on, on Monday instead of SummerSlam, but if they, you know, being being all brand new, like I told you 10 minutes ago, they say, well, Sasha Banks, you're going to have a rematch for, with, you know, Charlotte wants a rematch at, at SummerSlam, and it's going to be a ladder match. I think that, that'll that be one way to be like, oh, shit, like, okay, now... Now they're really ramping it up. And they're really giving out new, you know, new uh, style matches. And correct me if I'm wrong, man. I I haven't seen a women's ladder match for a title either in so long or ever. And I think Sasha and Charlotte would be the, the two prime candidates to pull uh, to pull off a big time ladder match on a big time pay per view. And the fact that you know, I know I I heard somewhere on a show or, or a podcast that. Maybe they did the title change because more people would have seen it on USA as opposed to, to the network or on a pay-per-view. So maybe they did it that way, more viewership, like, oh, wow, like it's going back to being un- unpredictable. And three three and a half million people saw Sasha win uh, the Women's Championship, but it could have been a, a much lesser number on the network. What do you think about that and the fact that to appease the fans that – they they should or, or got to come back with a rematch at SummerSlam, but have some kind of stipu- uh, stipulation for it. Well, in terms of the rematch, like you said, and like I said earlier, that they have to do the rematch at SummerSlam. Like, keep Bailey out of the picture until at least after SummerSlam. You can do a triple threat at Clash of the Champions or in the fall. Not to, They shouldn't do Bailey and Banks. I know it would have been an, an amazing story if they do Bailey and Banks one year later at SummerSlam as opposed to at you know, like takeover, like one year later, the story comes full circle. I get that, but it's way too soon. Right, right. Bailey's going for the belt, presumably against Oscar and takeover anyway. So if we're already at two title shots in the same weekend, it's kind of ridiculous. So, I mean, I wouldn't complain, but at the same time, it's like, okay, just hold off on that for a little while. Maybe save it for WrestleMania next year. But in the meantime, Bailey Banks, or rally, uh, rather uh, Banks and Charlotte Part 2 at SummerSlam would be great. And like you said, we've never seen a ladder women's match in WWE. I know they did one in OVW. They did one between Tara and Terrell, the former Tiffany, and Gil, Kim, and TNA many years ago, and it was freaking phenomenal. I know Banks and Charlotte, as you said, Randy, would hit it out of the park. And in terms of the other thing you said about it being on Raw because there were more eyes in the show and more eyes in the title change, 
That's a great point. I didn't really think about it that way. Um, someone that I'm friends with that's a casual fan at best. I don't know if she's watched wrestling at all in the last couple of years since I last talked to her, but I saw her tweeting about it on Tuesday that she was watching SmackDown, and I said, hey, are you watching SmackDown right now? She said, yeah, I love the women. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really cool. Like, the women's division right now is as good as it's ever been. Definitely check out the match from last night. And she was like, yeah, I saw a clip of Sasha winning the belt on Raw, and that's what got me back into it. And I felt like the sense of joy from reading that just because it's like, wow, Sasha winning the belt on Monday's Raw got this girl back into watching wrestling. Not any of the Balor stuff, which probably helped, obviously, but it was the women. Women's wrestling is changing the freaking game, man. Absolutely. And that match, like I said, was just breathtaking and really a changing of the guard for the women in WWE. Hey, man, I, I think you almost you almost lost your shit when uh, they put the, the promo for Shelton Benjamin coming back. <laughs> I saw that yeah, tweet. Right. I saw that tweet, Gray. I saw that tweet, man. <laughs> Dude, I had a I had a case of markoutitis on on Tuesday night, and I had to be cured by the most professional doctors in the world, by the best doctors in the world. After I saw that video package, because I looked up, it was right after it was after the battle royal, maybe, and they were going into commercial, or maybe he was coming back from commercial. I, don't, I forget. But I was on my laptop doing whatever, and I hear a familiar voice. And I look up, and I see the video package, and I'm like, holy shit, they're bringing him back. Because I know it's been rumored for a while. Mm-hmm. It's been rumored for years, man. Like, this was go- this is going back to, like, 2013. Oh, he's getting back in the Rumble. Oh, he's coming back in Money in the Bank, and he never did. So it became a running gag after many years. But at long last, they made the right decision, and they're bringing back Shelton frickin' Benjamin, dude. This guy has so much untapped potential. I know he's almost 40 years old. Not saying to put the world title on him tomorrow. But he is so underrated, he's so goddamn good, and he is so perfect for SmackDown. I don't know if they're going to make him a single star. Put the IC title on him, ASAP. Miz is doing great work right now, but to have him beat Miz for the belt would be phenomenal. They can bring in Charlie Haas and do American Alpha versus the world's great impact. Like, there's so many, yes. there's an endless amount of possibilities with Shelton Benjamin, and I was so happy, like, I saw today they're bringing back Jinder Mahal. Who the fuck cares about bringing back Jinder Mahal? Like, the job <laughs> to back right around Raw? Like, I don't give a shit about the former 3MB member, Jinder Mahal. But I love Rhino. I'm glad he's back. But Shelton Benjamin, dude, can really change the game on Tuesday night. So I could not have been happier. Like you said, I exploded. I think you summed it up perfectly with what you said. I exploded uh, with a case of marcoditis on Tuesday night when I saw Shelton Benjamin. He was on his way back to the WWE. I can't wait for his return. I even, I even put out a tweet saying, "Well, hey, if you're gonna bring back, you know, if you're gonna bring back Shelton Benjamin, would it be great? I, I will totally lose it if you bring back any of the following of John Morrison, Mr. Kennedy, and, and Carlito." And people were like, "Oh, I, I don't mind Morrison, but I know he's with uh, Lucha Underground. Carlito, I don't know, but I want no parts of Mr. Ke- uh, of Mr. Kennedy." I'm like, "Are you serious? Like, Mr. Kennedy was <laughs> beating top." top talent all world champions when he was there and his gimmick was so was so different and so unique but i mean at this stage in the game i have no idea who who they they are contracted to outside of morrison with um with lucha on the ground but i mean if you're gonna bring if you're gonna if you're gonna bring back the 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 nostalgia acts it, it definitely has to make sense and shelton benjamin does make sense Definitely, dude. Definitely. I mean, if you're going to bring back guys at all, it's got to be one that people care about. I mean, many people don't care about Kurt Hawkins, and they're bringing him back. But I'm fine with him just because he's a great wrestler. Like, I don't want to see, I don't know what a good example would be, but 
uh, I don't know. Like, when they brought back Del Rio, and he's kind of an exception just because he's a really good wrestler. But when he came back at Hell in the Cell last year, other than beating Cena clean for the U.S. title in, like, eight minutes, it's like, okay, so this guy's already won the world title four times. He's already won the Rumble. He's already headlined WrestleMania. What else is there for this guy to do? He's floundering right now. No one gives two shits about Del Rio just because he's already been out on top and back. So why are you here other than collecting a paycheck? And I know, again, Kennedy... MVP is another one I would love to see back. Carlito, Morrison. Again, I'm not saying to put the world title on them. This does not need to be the SmackDown mid card of 2007. But you can bring back people that, one, that people recognize, that the casual fan will recognize, two, or over, and three, are good wrestlers. Rhino, I know he's an ECW original. He's been around for 20 years. He's still a good wrestler. He's still over. People still care about Rhino. He's not irrelevant. And the same goes for Morrison, like you said, he's, if he's going to come back, and I'm sure as hell he will, he left on good terms. He said multiple times, I want to end up right back in WWE, and I can guarantee you he will be back there at some point. He's under contract to Lucha Underground until at least next year, so we won't see him until at least then. Jeff Hardy's another guy I know for a fact is coming back at some point, probably Matt too. But Carlito, Kennedy, MVP, they're not doing anything right now. They're doing indie shit right now, so they can bring them back tomorrow if they want to. I don't care if they put Carlito with the Shining Stars, because at least it makes sense. He's related to them. I know the Shining Stars are a dead act, but at least it makes sense. Kennedy, we might be in the minority. I know there's not a lot for there's not a lot of love for Kennedy in 2016, but the guy can still go. He's a good wrestler, and I love the shtick on you know on SmackDown 10 years ago. Again, maybe he worked then and it won't work now, but he's good hand in the ring, and people recognize who he is. People, I guarantee you, Junior Mahal came back on Monday's Raw. If he wasn't over the first time, he won't be over the second time. I don't get too crafts about that guy. But if they bring back the people that you mentioned, people that fans will recognize and care about, I'm all for it. Well, maybe maybe they should put like a, a collection of the greatest matches by Ginger Mahal on, 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 on the network <laughs> to remind people. Maybe that probably like one match. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it, that, that's being generous. I mean, <laughs> um. Two more, two more questions before I go into um, the question that the, the Twitter family sent me. Um, matter of fact, I'll just package this up in, in one. Um, we saw Finn Balor go over big time on Raw. Um, he he defeated Roman Reigns one on one cleanly uh, on Raw, and then we also saw Dolph Ziggler become the number one contender for the championship against Dean Ambrose at SummerSlam, and I think that took a lot of people by surprise. Um, which was more surprising to you, Balor beating Reigns cleanly in the ring, one on one, or the fact that Dolph Ziggler is now the number one contender for the WWE Championship? Great question. I mean, I loved both for different reasons. Just because I knew Balor was going to be a star right out of it. They were not going to bring him up to Raw. They were going to bring him up to Raw regardless. But they weren't going to bring him up to the face of the cruiserweight division. That would have been a complete waste of his talent. Maybe for Neville, for a guy that probably won't get above a certain level in the company, but Balor. I've been saying this for two and a half years now, a year and a half. The guy is a star. He has world champion written all over him, and it would not surprise me in the slightest, and they probably should. If they really want to usher in this new era on a, on a good note, on a high note, they've got to put the belt on him at SummerSlam. I love Seth Rollins, and he's a fresh face too, to an extent, but Balor is their new toy for right now. So they've got to bring him in with a bang by putting the belt on him. So I love the fact that he beat Roman. I was shocked. I was ecstatic when he beat him. But that's coming off two clean losses at Money in the Bank and Battleground. I'm, I'm glad they're finally making Reigns vulnerable. He cannot be the new John Cena. That's why people despise him so much. I don't think having him beat clean is going to 
garner him any new fans. I haven't even found respect for Roman Reigns. It's not anything having to do with him. He's not booking his matches and shit. It's a creative team. But um, I was surprised about that. But honestly, I think I was more surprised with Ziggler winning. Because I kind of had a feeling Balor would win on Raw. I mean, it wasn't predictable. I mean, I figured he would win. I didn't think he would win clean. But Ziggler, to be honest with you, if you told me in a six-pack challenge on Monday that we would be having Corbin, Cruz, Wyatt, Cena, Styles, and Ziggler in a six-pack challenge, and that of all those guys, Ziggler would have been the least likely to win, in my opinion. I mean, you have so many fresh faces with Wyatt. Uh, I, I figured Wyatt was going to win, but he had fresh faces with yeah. Wyatt, Corbin, Cruz, and then two former world champions in other companies, obviously, with AJ Styles and Cena, who were obviously going to continue their they wouldn't win, but I figured Styles would obviously have more of a chance of winning than, than Ziggler, but I love him winning just because it gives him another chance. He's been damaged goods for so long. That kind of That's a contradictory statement, but I'm saying that you know he, he deserves another chance. He could still be as good as he was many years ago if he just flipped the switch, turn him heel. That's where he works best anyway. That's where he's most comfortable. And uh, they just give him another shot at the superstardom at that main event scene that they never really truly gave him a couple of years ago when he cashed the money in the bank. He still won the matches. The thing with Ziggler, and the reason why I, among many other people, have not cared about this guy for so long, it has nothing to do with him. It's more in the fact that WWE has not given him any creative, any character development in years. Like, this guy has been stagnant as month-old bread for many years now. And they, they have to do something new with him. So I'm glad he's a fresh-facing title We've seen Ambrose and Ziggler before, but they always have good matches. And it's a, it's a big match for a Brooklyn IWC, smarky-like crowd in Brooklyn. So I love both decisions, but I'm going to be completely honest with you. Ziggler winning on SmackDown was more surprising to me, believe it or not. I think all that's left for Dolph Ziggler to to really change up everything is, is go heel. I think so. this is the prime opportunity. You know, Right now, right now you got two baby faces going at it. Uh, at SummerSlam for for the world title, and why not have Dolph Ziggler? We, we, everybody loves Dean Ambrose more than Dolph Ziggler, and and that's a fact. So now, why not tweak uh, Dolph Ziggler from now until SummerSlam, or maybe he could just make him black out at SummerSlam and do a heel turn now, because if if you read recently where even a guy like Kevin Nash he wants to be. Dolph Ziggler's Diesel to what you know how he did it with Shawn Michaels back back in the in in the '95. So that could be potential for 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 a, a a heel turn. Have a manager, have a bodyguard, just add something a different dynamic to Dolph Ziggler because the show off and this and this is not working. It hasn't worked for quite some time. So him being in the title picture, okay, great. But I think he he can't leave SummerSlam without. Doing something, I, I doubt he'll win. But if he loses, catch an attitude, he'll black out. He'll attack Dean Ambrose. Bam, you have your heel turn. Get a rematch the following month. But it can't just be, you know, I'm here. You know, I'm here to save the world. No, I'm tired. I'm tired of that show off stuff. I'm glad he he's in the title picture. But you got to change up here. Uh, change him up to a heel. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Like I said earlier, he's most comfortable as a heel. He did his best work as a heel early on in his career, but I feel like he never really got heat as a heel early on in his career because he was so good in the ring, people didn't want to hate him. But at this point, he's so stagnant. Again, he's a fresh face in the title picture. Maybe not his fresh face in Balor. Balor just debuted. Ziggler's been around for 100 years. I mean, like 12 years, but it feels like 100 years because he's been here for so long. But, and he's a great wrestler, but they got to turn him heel. Like, I don't even think it's a case that, oh, Ambrose is winning at SummerSlam. Like, I don't care because we know it's predictable. I don't think that's the case at all. 
I mean, maybe I'm just being optimistic, and maybe I'm just giving WWE too much faith here, but I think there is a good team lead the you know, leave SummerSlam as champion, especially if they do a heel turn. I feel like there's no one better to turn against right now. One of the biggest, if not the biggest babyface in the company right now is Dean Ambrose. They need to get a big reaction. People still like Ziggler, but honestly, like, I like him because he's a good wrestler, and I respect him that, in, in that respect, but his character is not likable. He's cocky as hell. Like he said, he still calls himself the, the, the show-off. When he cuts promos, like, I feel like I don't like this guy. Like, he's just not a likable character. But if they turn him heel, and that's, again, where he really thrived many years ago, that's the best way to reboot this character. Otherwise, I don't know why they're... I mean, if, if they give him a title shot at SummerSlam and a babyface and babyface match, which is not the worst thing, and Ziggler loses, and they move on to Ambrose and Wyatt next, or Ambrose and Stop, or Ambrose and Cena, and it was just a one-and-done type deal, then to me, at that point, it would become painfully apparent because they merely did that just to get a rise out of the smarky crowd in Brooklyn. Like, this can't be a one-shot deal. Putting the belt on Ziggler as a heel and putting Ambrose in, in chase mode, to me, makes the most sense. Ambrose has been a good champion, mm. but he's best when he's chasing the belt as the ultimate underdog. So if they have him drop the belt at SummerSlam, put the belt on Ziggler as a heel, boom, you got a fresh feed right there for SmackDown for, like, the rest of the year. So I would do that. I wouldn't cry if he loses at SummerSlam because I love Ambrose. But like you said, win, lose, or draw, the guy has to switch it up. He's got to go heel. And God damn it, he's got to change that theme song. Like you alluded to earlier, that uh, song sucks. I love Unsafe. I've heard the same thing for like five years now. I'm so sick of stupid-ass song. If they're going to turn him heel, that better come with uh, with a new entrance music, too, with new entrance music, just because that song has been so you know played out and just so sick of hearing it. If he's going to change, if he's going to turn heel and have a new attitude, He's got to change that god-awful entrance music. All right, Graham, real quick, I'm going to get to these Twitter questions. Um, at Warren Wolf, which do you think was better, uh, Raw Monday or SmackDown uh, yesterday? Definitely Raw, just because, in my opinion, it was the best Raw all year, if not in many years. SmackDown was good. There were uh, a number of gripes that had with the show, but the potential's there. SmackDown can be great if they build up the stars they have, bring back guys like Benjamin and Rhino in coming weeks and months and whatever. Raw to me, it's a no-brainer. I'm a SmackDown guy. I'm a blue brand boy for life. But I think Raw definitely hit out of the park with their shit. So they won the war this week. We'll see what the uh, case is next week. All right, next up, at Frankie J underscore Sucker, does this quote-unquote fan booking last, or is it too good to be true? And when is the best time to debut Shelton Benjamin's return? I want to say it's going to last again. We thought this. Oh, we we thought this before that. Oh, it's going to be for the better. It's going to be for the long haul, and it hasn't been. And they go right back to the same old stagnant stagnant quo. So I'm not going to you know put too much faith in WWE just yet. We'll see what happens next week. They can't have as hot of a show as they did in the Monday night just because they can't do four way matches every week. They can't do title changes every single week. It's, yeah. not, it's not like that. Nor should they. But I think if they, like I said, if they space it out. And they spread the love among every episode of Raw and not just, you know, put all their eggs in one basket and then make every other show leading up to SummerSlam complete crap. They got, uh, they have the foundation for the future right there. So definitely I think they can keep it up going forward. In terms of Benjamin, I think the best time to bring him back is either, I mean, they said coming soon, so it probably won't be this Tuesday. But bring him back either next week, at any point between now and SummerSlam, because like I said, in my opinion, I don't know if they should do World's Greatest Tag Team versus American Alpha as soon as SummerSlam, but I'd be totally fine if they did Benjamin and Miz at that pay-per-view. So bring it back at some point in the next month or at the event itself. 
All right, at E13A, is it fair to criticize SmackDown as the quote-unquote B-show still? No, just because they made a lot of good strides, a lot of, I mean, they made a lot of uh, steps in the right direction on Tuesday in making it show. It's its own distinct roster, its own distinct feel. They made a lot of improvements towards that, just that on Tuesday night. So comparing it to Raw, of course it was going to be a bad show. To compare the two with nine days, Raw is obviously better, but... Like I said, SmackDown as a standalone show is solid. And like I said, over time, SmackDown is the is, is the long-term project. If they continue to build up guys like Cruz, Corbin, Kalisto, Benjamin, you know, guys like that, uh, even Rhino and, and people like that, then SmackDown could be the superior show. The, the puzzle pieces are there. It's just going to take time. So right now, I don't think it's the B show. Time will tell. Maybe it will be. Who knows? But I think so far, um, it's, it's not better than Raw, just because it's only been one week. We can't speak too soon here. But I think the puzzle pieces are in place for SmackDown to be just as good, if not better, than Raw. All right. Up next, at at Scarlet's one, he got two questions. Uh, were the debuts of Alexa Bliss and Carmella on SmackDown kind of off to you? Yes, just because I liked Alexa Bliss coming out after the women's match on SmackDown, which means Becky and Natalia. I'm like, oh, great, we finally get Alexa on SmackDown, cool debut. But then they brought out Carmella, and then they brought out Naomi, and then they brought out Eva. Like, I like each of those women for different reasons. Like, I hate Eva. Like, shit, I don't hate Eva, but she's not a great wrestler. But the over-the-top introduction of her character, like, with the, the voiceover, I thought was amazing. Like, it was so ridiculous, I thought it was great. You can't shove all the women in one segment because everyone gets overshadowed. Becky, or no, not Becky, Alexa and Carmella, they made an impact, but not as big of an impact as they did, as they would have if they debuted in seven Like, Bliss and Becky should be the next big beat for SmackDown for the women. But you can't, put, again, put all your eggs in one basket, put all your women in one segment, just because everyone's going to be overshadowed as a result. You can't share love in one segment featuring five women. And Scarlet One also said, is it okay to claim Eva Marie's entrance with the narrator was easily the highlight of the night? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't recall the highlight of the night, but like I just said, it was so over the top and ridiculous. I thought it was actually great. She is such a bad wrestler, and she's hot too. But I think if they have, if she has that going forward with the narration and the voiceover, I think that's going to definitely make her character that much more detestable. Again, it was great, and I loved it, but I don't know if it was the highlight of the night. Like, Benjamin coming back, and Ziggler winning to me was the best part about the show. I know Scarlett mentioned it to me on Twitter that same night. They're not a big fan of Ziggler winning, so I could see why they said that the Eva Marie thing was the best part about the show for them, but uh, it, it was up there. Not the best part, but it was up on the list for me. At uh, E13A, again, do, uh, do you guys think that WWE still has a sweet spot for Roman Reigns? Yes. He's not going to be buried. He's not going to be deep pushed. Um, I think they're just trying to humble Roman Reigns coming out of the suspension. I love the fact that Roman's suspension did not fuck up WWE's plans. It fixed their plans. Because now they have people like Balor in the title picture, and I guarantee you that would not be the case. I mean, I'm sure Balor still would have been on Raw. But he would not be in the title picture at summer, so my guarantee you would have been Rollins and Reigns. Um, so again, he'll still be a top star in Raw. He'll still be a top baby face. I'm actually intrigued what part he's going to play at SummerSlam when he's facing. But I'm right. glad he got suspended. I'm glad he screwed up just because it resulted in the better. It resulted in the better SummerSlam card. Um, but no, they're not souring on him. He's still going to be a top star. Taking a couple clean losses here and there, you know, here and there. I think it's perfect for his character. That's exactly what he needed. He needs to become more humane and relatable. 
but no, I don't think they're souring a Roman Reigns whatsoever. And the last one to Sean uh, at Sean Neutron. Do you think the WWE should have saved Benjamin's uh, return for an actual debut and not just a vague announcement? Uh, I mean, it would have been cool if I heard Ain't No Stopping Me Now up here to nowhere <laughs> like Rhino did on Tuesday. But I think building him up with video packages and get people more familiar with the guy, I'm sure obviously most of the audience remembers him. It's only been six or seven years. We have a lot of new fans, obviously. You still would have gotten a good reaction. Yeah. But I think if they hear the vignettes, we don't see it. Again, doing something different. Exactly. We saw this with the Wyatt family. We saw this. I mean, there's a lot of different debuts. The Shield came out of nowhere. It was one of the best debuts of all time. But the Wyatt family vignettes, dude, those were some of the greatest video packages I've ever seen. Not to compare Benjamins to the Wyatt families, but giving people uh, an, an idea of what he's all about to those that don't remember Benjamin, reminding people, yes, this guy's a collegiate athlete. He's a former MVP, and he's probably still is for many people an MVP in the Money to Bank Ladder match. I think it's great, and he's going to get a bigger reaction, not only from people like you and me when he comes back, but also those newer fans that may not have known who he was prior to when he left. Graham Matthews, you're on Twitter at WrestleRant. Uh, you do great work covering the WWE for the Bleacher Report. Um, real quick, just let the fans know where they can find you, contact you, and read your work online. I think you said it all, brother. Like you said, I'm Twitter machine at WrestleRant, Facebook, Facebook backslash graham.jason.matthews check out the website nextairwrestling.net wrestlerant radio I'm the host of it it's every third new episode going up tomorrow talking Battleground Raw Smackdown pretty much rehashing what we just did right here on your show now like you said Bleach Report Hidden Remote What Culture and for all three sites and a potential announcement coming soon as well so stay tuned to the social media and uh, most importantly SummerSlam is only 25 days away Hoping to see you there, brother. The uh, No Seatful Brooklyn Tour continues part two in the weeks to come. I can't wait for it. All right, Graham. Thank you, my man. I appreciate it. Appreciate it, Randy. I'll catch you down the road. All right.